There was a young woman named Francine Ilias, nicknamed Tifam, who was pronounced dead at 30 years of age on February 23, 1976. Before her death, she had suffered digestive problems and had been taken to the Saint-Michel de Latelier Hospital. She was treated there, but several days after her release from the hospital, she died at home and her death was certified by the local coroner. It was believed her husband had been responsible. Tragic, but unfortunately, the story does not end there. Her mother found her three years later in a nearby town, recognizing her by a childhood scar she bore on her temple. And later, when her grave was exhumed, her coffin was found to be full of rocks. you lovely people out there in the hinterlands. It's Rockin' Max, and we're going to be your guides as we wander into the season of ghouls, ghosts, and ghastly legends here at Nightmares and Daydreams, y'all. Greetings, everyone. Welcome. As always, before we start the show, we want to ask you, our amazing listeners and subscribers, to please share our podcast. If you know anyone that you think will appreciate what we're doing, hey, just let them know. Yep. Help your boys get out there. And if you haven't, guys, please take the second to rate and review the show. We ask a lot, and you know we wouldn't if it wasn't so important. So please continue to grant us that boon of the five-star review. And uh, the other thing we wanted to touch on real quick was that we've been getting some really nice reviews at Apple Podcasts. So, gang, we just wanted to say thanks. Those nice reviews do mean a lot. Now that the housekeeping's done, shall we get back to the shenanigans, Maxie? Let's. As always, Rock and I are going to discuss and debate our way through all things paranormal, legendary, and monstrous. Scary. And, as always, fun. Yep, gang, fun. Fun's important. But, Max, I'm going to ask you this question that you ain't never heard before. Do you want to know what's not funny? <laughs> Living forever? Living forever sounds good on the surface, you know. You're, you're probably right. Who wants to live forever? <laughs> Who wants? Okay, okay, settle down, Maxie Mercury. And I can answer that question. Who wants to live forever? Obviously, Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod wants to live forever. There can be only one gang. Don't you dare, Rock. <laughs> I'm going to review Highlander today, folks. In case you never heard of it. Uh, I know that movie's... Yeah, that movie's older than dirt, I think. It's an oldie, but a goodie, so y'all... It's immortal. Oh, well played, Maxie. So you want to see a Scotsman playing an immortal Spaniard who's really an immortal Egyptian, <laughs> and there are swords involved, too? I mean, what's not to like, right? Man, you and your Sean Connery obsession... I'm pretty sure you've already reviewed Highlander, though. It's healthier than your Selkie obsession, is all I got to say. And are you sure I've reviewed Highlander? It's just family history. <laughs> Have I reviewed it? I'm going to say yes. At least you've done your Sean Connery impression in regards to Highlander. I'm pretty <laughs> sure you said I have the manners of a goat and smelled like a dung heap. Well, I pretty much just talk like Sean Connery throughout the day, you know. So, and yeah, I do recall that Connery line that I gave you. You do have bad manners that smell like a dung heap. You're the man now, dog. You know what we should have did during the dog man episode was said, you're the dog now, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Maxie, let's move along. We got a show to do. I'm going to ask again, my man, do you want to know what's not fun? I'm clueless, right? An undead corpse coming up out the ground to eat your brains. I hate it when that happens. 
Yeah, you know, I wouldn't worry too much. You haven't got enough brains left to untie some. Oh, snap. First burn of the Halloween season, right? It burns. It burns. Nasty elves twisted <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, okay, lovely listeners. In case you haven't figured it out, we're talking about zombies tonight on Nightmares and Daydreams. The perfect thing to give you all the creepy feels as the weather cools and the leaves begin to fall. Before you know it, there'll be the knock, knock, knock on your door. Zombies don't knock, Maxie. They just break down the damn front door and overwhelm you with sheer numbers. You're talking about trick-or-treaters, right? <laughs> Word, that's right. I can't wait to see the little buggers with their costumes and baskets just waiting for me to hand out my famous caramel-covered onions. I can't believe people still fall for that. <laughs> you give those out every year, you bastard. <laughs> what can I say? It's a Halloween tradition in our neighborhood. I remember you said those at a party once. Uh-huh. Pretty hilarious. <laughs> that look on folks' face after that first bite. It's a look of surprise and horror. Man, dude, I just love it. It's like, get ready, get ready, watch the bite. Yes, here it goes. <laughs> it's pretty good, the joke, <laughs> not the caramel-covered onions. Oh, no, they're gross. You're just giving them a story they can tell for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And a recipe. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Our listeners don't want to hear about your Hollywood shenanigans. Or but do they? <laughs> they may want to hear the origins of the word zombie. All right, what you got, smarty pants? There are multiple theories of the origins, but I like the Oxford English Dictionary theory best. They ascribe the word's origin to West African, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Zombie stemming from the words nzambi, which means God. Vumbi, which means ghost or revenant. Nvumbi, a body without a soul. And zumbi, which means fetish. All of which seem like they apply. Seems solid to me, man. I mean, the word sounds like it, and much of zombie lore is tied to voodoo, as well as many tales coming out of Haiti. True enough. All right, Max, so what kind of zombies are we talking about tonight, man? Are we talking about Night of the Living Dead zombies, you know, or there was that kind of stumble around the mall? Or are we talking about hyperkinetic fast 28 days later zombies? Or the ones that work in the local morgue solving murders like Olivia Moore and I Zombie. <laughs> nice. I like that last one. Okay, good question, Rock. And to be honest, we're talking about all of them, I think. Mm-hmm. But how about we start with real zombies? Oh, yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure I know which direction you're headed here. Let's head over to Haiti, dear listeners, as we were talking about. Mm-hmm. The Haitian zombies raised from the dead by voodoo practicing sorcerers called Bokos, like Francine Elias in our intro. Scary stuff that I remember reading Serpent of the Rainbow by Wade Davis like oh, when yeah. I was a kid. I mean, it scared the hell out of for me, sure. man. I mean, that stuff is for real, y'all. It's a great book. Yep. And the movie with Bill Pullman? Yep. That was scary, too. I saw that. Though Bill Pullman, for me, will always be Lone Star <laughs> from <Jeez>. Spaceball. <laughs> <laughs> Said it before. We love us some Mel Brooks on this podcast. Max, and you know there's a strong Mel Brooks and Zombies connection, don't you? I mean, Rock, Mel Brooks is into his 90s, but he ain't no zombie. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about his son, Max Brooks. Max wrote World War Z, which is a pretty great read in that genre. Nice. I had no clue. Did you see the movie? Wasn't Brad Pitt in it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in it. You know, it's I. I mean, it's a solid flick, but it ain't no Highlander. It ain't worth a Rock's review. Not old enough. <laughs> not like 30, 30 years old. You ain't lying. It's too new. It hasn't had time to marinate in the collective unconscious. <laughs> All right, Max, back to Haitian zombie lore. Well, according to Davis, the author of Serpent in the Rainbow, a bokor, or kaplata, which is the female version, is a voodoo witch. But unlike witches in much of the lore we've explored here before on Nightmares and Daydreams, they're not devoted to either good or evil side of the magical practice. It's said they, quote, serve the loa with both hands, 
Okay, with both hands. Is that like meaning that they serve both sides, kind of? Exactly. At least that's my interpretation. Hmm. I don't know about that. I mean, can you serve two masters like that? Well, far be it from me to judge Haitian religion myself. Or me. It's my understanding that the Loa are divine spirits, and maybe their alignment, to use D&D terminology, as we are wont to do, mm-hmm. is more ambiguous than the Judeo-Christian pantheon of saints and devils. I don't know. I guess I can see that. I mean, voodoo is its own thing, 100%. It's like in that old TV show, Millennium. Yeah, by X-Files creator Chris Carter. Dude, that was a good show. Pretty scary. But uh, which which episode are you talking about? There was an episode called Powers, Principalities, Thrones, and Dominions. Ah, uh, okay. Like the types of angels. Dude, Carter knew his lore. Exactly. And speaking of podcasts for another day, that'll definitely be a fun one. Yeah, we definitely got to do an episode on angels. What do you think, gang? Got any angel stories for us out there? In fact, y'all, send us any listener stories you got for your boys. We're hoarding those stories for volume three, so keep them coming, please. Okay, back to the TV show Millennium. There was this guy who I guess was an angel. Frank Black, the main character, asked if he had done whatever he had done to save him and his family. And the guy just looked at him and said, there is not that kind of action. All right, so it's like he's saying that the effects on humans is kind of irrelevant. Like the cosmic wars waged have nothing to do with us. Exactly. And folks, we're not saying that's what we think. I'm just using the show to explain a point. All right, man, so let's just get back to zombies. So these bokors raise the dead and make them slaves or something, if I recall correctly. You know, doing farm work or some other sort of back-breaking labor, man. Like, who wants to do that? That's some hard work. Yeah, that's right. According to Wade Davis, the guy who wrote Serpent in the Rainbow, after doing field research among the Haitians, they use a potion whose active ingredient is a tetrodotoxin from the pufferfish, I think. Yeah, I've heard about that, man. So, yeah, that's the chemical portion of that equation. But he also goes on to talk about the key cultural aspect, like the belief system of the Haitian people. 100%. You can't just take powder of a pufferfish toxin and turn someone into a zombie. Hmm. There are integral religious and cultural components necessary to the process. In this case, belief might be the other key component that turns a person into a Haitian zombie. True, true. You know, that said, I still don't want no pufferfish powder in my smoothie, Max. (laughs) I'm not into it, man. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Let's tell a classic Haitian zombie story. In May of 1962, a Haitian man, Clavius Narcisse, died in a hospital after a short illness. He was buried the very next day. Some 18 years later, his sister ran into him as she did her shopping in a market, and he was alive and well. What he told her was an amazing story. He and their older brother had been quarreling over a land inheritance for years, and in 1962, it came to a head. His brother paid someone to get rid of Clavius for him. A reported voodoo sorcerer and slave master poisoned him with a mixture that made Clavius look as though he was dead. But he was not. Not long after his funeral, the unfortunate man was dug up and revived. He was then given a cocktail of drugs to muddle his mind and make him easier to control. For two years, Clavius worked on a sugar plantation among other zombie slaves. Only after the slave master died was Clavius able to make his escape. Fearful of other sorcerers finding him, he drifted alone for the next 16 years, slowly recovering his memory, but afraid of running into his brother again. Fortunately, after meeting his sister, he discovered that his brother had indeed passed away, and for the first time in 20 years, he was free.
Damn. And his brother did that to him. Family, man, you know? Folks who have studied his case believe he could have been poisoned with the pufferfish toxin, tetrodotoxin, as well as bufotoxin, which is toxin from a toad. And both can induce a death-like coma. If his story's true, man, that's pretty horrifying. Agreed. That poor guy just wandered around the island trying to lay low. I know, man. Life is a zombie. Ain't all it cracked up to be. <laughs> In case you were hoping to become one. Exactly. Take it off your list. I mean, technically, it's unlife as a zombie. Not true. They should have just split the land and each brother go their own way. Ain't no reason to get a person turned into a zombie. <laughs> you ain't lying. Hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> I ran across a short story that was kind of disturbing researching this episode. Shall I tell it? A disturbing short story? Hell yes. Tis the season after all. Sometimes the dead return and depart again without intervention, which is what appeared to happen to a young boy in Brazil in a case that confounded doctors. The boy was brought to the hospital with a grave case of pneumonia and eventually lost the fight due to respiratory failure. Tragic. But then at his funeral, while grieving family members were gathered around, the boy sat up, hesitantly smiling while he looked around at all his stunned family members. He asked, Daddy, can I have some water? And then just as suddenly, he lay back down in his coffin, where he once again went limp. The boy was raced back to the hospital, where doctors were unable to explain what had happened and declared that he was indeed still dead. Wow. Dude, I don't like anything about that story. <laughs> nope. Talk about traumatic. Can you imagine how the boy's family must have felt? No kidding, man. Especially mourning the death of a young child like that. I mean, it's horrible, man. Those poor parents. I'd definitely be afraid to bury him, no matter what the doctor said. I mean, seriously, gang, like, what do you do after that? And while that's not necessarily a zombie story, it's still chilling and, like we said, sad. I mean, where did the kid go? He was gone, back again, then gone? As we like to say, hell nah. Too much thinking in that equation, man. Like, was he in the afterlife? Was he in the Matrix? Was he in Limbo? Was he inhabited by a rogue spirit that animated his body? Disturbing any way you slice it. Yep. So, question, and this is shifting gears. How did the whole brain-eating thing in zombies get started? Because I'm pretty sure it didn't start in Haiti. Probably in the Night of the Living Dead, am I right? Nice segue. I like how we go to a religious Asian and Western <laughs> African version of zombies to Night of the Living Dead. Hey, we're nothing if not focused. All right, gang. Night of the Living Dead isn't the first zombie movie, FYI. You know, the white zombie in 1932 is the oldest. Yeah, that's old. But actually, you know, it does seem like Night of the Living Dead was kind of the big catalyst for the transition. Romero is said to have drawn on Richard Matheson's masterpiece, I Am Legend. I saw that movie, Rock. I Am Legend was okay, but... Who's no masterpiece? Yeah, I mean, the movie was whatever's, right? I'm talking about the book, Maxie. You know, you should know, rather, that books are always better. You have like four libraries <laughs> in your house, you know? Books are always better. I Am Legend, the book was awesome. I'm not even going to get in the Omega Man with Charlton Heston back in the like 70s. That's not worth <laughs> mentioning, so. I just want to say my goal is for my whole house to be a library, one big library. Hashtag life goals, amigo. Or you can just move to the library, Max, one or the other. There you go. So, <laughs> so Matheson drew on that book, though neither that book nor the movie Night of the Living Dead actually mentioned zombies. Whoa, 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 wait, hold on. You're saying Night of the Living Dead doesn't mention zombies? Mm -mm. The whole movie is about zombies. 
This was 1968, Maxie. No one really knew much about zombies. No one outside the Caribbean, anyway. But it's a classic. The classic zombie movie. I agree, man. And, you know, moviegoers use the term in regards to the movie later on. But the movie itself doesn't mention zombies one time. That's pretty amazing. I'm going to have to go back again and watch it. You just don't trust me. I don't. So, look, the better question is how the evolution of zombies in movies happened, right? What do you mean? Okay, so... We had, like, Night of the Living Dead in 68. And zombies stayed pretty much the same through a lot of years and a lot of movies after that. You know, just shuffling about, (laughs) arms extended, unathletic as hell. The shambling, unthinking corpses after your brains. Correct, yeah. So tons of movies in the 80s like that, especially. Hell, even Scoob and Shaggy had to fight zombies. (laughs) But zombies weren't no match for Scoob after he was all hopped up on Scooby Snacks. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get back to the initial question. (laughs) You like that laugh, did you? (laughs) Where did the brain-eating zombie archetypes stem from? I'm going to have to go with pop culture, man. Like some movie has to be a movie, I'm thinking. Close. Look no further than The Simpsons. Oh, dude. Trios of horrors, right? Yep. Do you love those? In the 1992 episode, Dial Z for Zombie, that's one of the first instances of a zombie craving brains. That's awesome, dude. And I would not have guessed The Simpsons. All right, but what were we talking about before the evolution of zombies going from slow shufflers to hyperkinetic predators? They were slow in 28 Days Later, am I right? Or wait, was that the Sandra Bullock movie? 28 Days was the Sandra Bullock movie, Maxie. was about drug rehab. Not lightning-fast zombies overtaking the UK. Kind of the same thing. So I think Vigo, the good king of Gondor, was in that flick as well. So, you know, it's a little bit legit. Word. So was 28 Days Later the first non-shambling zombies, at least in film? Pretty much. You know, not that I'm an expert, but I put it maybe a little earlier. Okay. So when was the change to your way of thinking? Mid to late 90s. Uh, and it's because I love video games, that's when the Resident Evil came out. Ah. The game. It's a classic, man. The zombie renaissance, as some call it. And it came out of the Far East first with the Resident Evil and House of the Dead video games, which, if you recall, we used to play at La Fun, you know, waste quarters shooting zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And both of those later became movies. Ah, video games. I always forget about video games. Shame on you, Maxie. There are some compelling storylines in video games, my man. Speaking of, you still need to play The Witcher. Season 2 coming up. I do indeed. As soon as you buy me an Xbox, I'll be right on it. (laughs) Okay, yeah, just wait for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, keep, checking, keep checking your porch every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming, I promise. I swear to you. So Resident Evil had faster zombies, which I guess makes sense for a video game. I mean, slow zombies would get boring pretty quick. 100%. Resident Evil also had the government experiment virus-created zombies, if I remember correctly. Yeah, true. Now, I don't remember if they created that subgenre or not, but yeah, like that plot device, the evil government creating zombies, it's kind of been done to death. Or undeath, as we like to say. <laughs> We're so clever. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 28 Days Later, when it came out, though, really burst zombies back into the mainstream. It did, man. It, it did have some good jump scares. Uh, but, you know, again, they had to duke it out with vampires for a few years. But yeah, I think maybe they won. You think zombies could beat vampires, right? You're sorely deluded, son. I mean, I think they win the media war, maybe. You know, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. There are a lot of vampire shows and movies out there still. 
And then we had all the vampire books, Anne Rice, Suki Stackhouse novels. True Blood was pretty damn fun there for a minute. All right, all right, all right. Okay, zombies got their undead rears kicked, maybe. But vampires are a topic for another episode, Maxi. Back up off of the vampires and back onto the zombie episode, please. <laughs> the vampire episode is coming soon, though, lovely listeners. Yep. At the end of the month, you can tell us which you think has won. Zombies versus vampires. The ultimate battle. A titan against a titan. I knew you were going to go there. Okay, back on track. I always do. You're the one that got us off track with all the stupid vampire talk. I'm just excited about the episode. It's going to be a good one, gang. Seriously, though, man, let's take a step back for just one second. Are there zombies or zombie-type undead in other cultures, Maxie? Well, in ancient... I know that's a big shift, but let's go there. (laughs) In ancient Sumerian and Akkadian cultures, Ishtar, or Inanna, depending on your culture, descends into the underworld. And there's this cool quote. If you do not open the gate for me to come in, I shall smash the door and shatter the bolt. I shall smash the doorpost and overturn the doors. I shall raise up the dead and they shall eat the living, and the dead shall outnumber the living. From the descent of Ishtar. Damn, Max, you sounded all creepy reading that. All right, definitely sounds zombie-like, but she, like Ishtar, she's going to go into the underworld anyway, right, Max? Right. However... The other gods bring her back, sprinkling food and water of life on her corpse. That's interesting. All right. You know, hey, but also she was a god, man. She was not some mortal. So, you know, kind of on the right track, but not like a legit zombie. Okay. So Hebrew and Christian scriptures are replete with stories of raising the dead, though obviously they're different from zombies. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel has a dream where he's commanded to prophesy to dead bones. And he says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. No breath in them. Okay, cool. I mean, that's cool. But yeah, dude, in, in biblical stories, well, maybe except for Ezekiel's dream scenario that you're just talking about, the people are actually raised from the dead and act like normal humans afterwards, correct? Like getting back in society and whatnot, yeah? So they're more like the iZombie kind of zombie. <laughs> <laughs> Doing good, yeah. getting a job. <laughs> Solving crimes. All right, no, but seriously, I think I think that's right, yeah. Still pretty scary, but yep. I mean, that kind of thing still happens in the modern day. So shall I tell a story about such an event? Yes, please. A Venezuelan man, Carlos Camejo, was declared dead after a highway accident in 2007. Before his wife could arrive to identify the body, medical examiners began an autopsy. Camejo, who had been declared dead, woke up in the morgue in excruciating pain after medical examiners began the autopsy. They cut into his face and were surprised as fresh blood poured out. They quickly started sewing the incision and Camejo regained consciousness. I woke up because the pain was unbearable, he told a local newspaper. When his wife arrived to identify him, she found Camejo waiting for her in the corridor. All right, man. That's a lot to unpack. (laughs) Absolutely. That's some insanity right there. Like, I definitely do not want to wake up one day to a doctor doing an autopsy on me. Oh, hell no. Who does? I mean, that's a good point. It kind of honestly reminds me of another story from The Serpent of the Rainbow, the story of Nadezhet Joseph. Do tell. 
Well, honestly, man, there's not that much to tell, but Nadezhet, about 60 years old, was supposedly killed over a land dispute in 1966. In 1980, she was recognized wandering around her home village by the police officer who, 14 years before, in the absence of a doctor, had pronounced her dead. And apparently she got up out of her grave at some point in the intervening years and kept on moving around. Apparently. You know, there's a lot of zombification rituals that are performed as acts of revenge. So maybe the other person in the land dispute got her. Just like poor Clervius Narcisse in your story earlier. Apparently there were a lot of land disputes in Haiti in the 60s. I know, that was a thing in the (laughs) 60s, man. Let's fight for land, turn each other in zombies. (laughs) It seems if you have the cash, you can get one of these bokars to turn folks into zombies and just get them out of your way. Gang, don't turn your neighbors into zombies, all right? It just ain't cool. And I submit for y'all approval, Shaun of the Dead is the best zombie movie of all time. Who's with me? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a great movie, though. Just agree with me. Just agree, man. You love Simon Pegg. I think I might have to agree with you on that one, actually. Yeah, you know, because I'm right, baby. And with that last bit, we are done, gang. Thanks for hanging out with Max and myself during these trying times in the spooky season. You know we super appreciate it. That's right, gang. And please consider supporting the podcast by heading on over to buymeacoffee.com and searching for Nightmares Podcast. We love our coffee, gang. Patreon is another way to support us, y'all. We're at patreon.com forward slash nightmares podcast, where fun bonus content awaits. Like we say, the tiers start at a buck a month that you can cancel anytime. And in the episode notes, we have a new fancy pants link. It's a link tree that'll take you to all things nightmares and daydreams. It's pretty convenient. Yup. Hit the Fancy Pants link and you can hit us up on all the social media. Mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. You know it. As well as a link to our new Tee Public store, y'all. Check it out, gang. We got some new merch there for y'all. Y'all been asking. We came through. You guys asked. We delivered. Mm-hmm. Hit the link and check it out, gang. We got new t-shirts, including a La Chusa shirt that we designed just for you. Guys, that shirt is wicked. And guys, we also have mugs, like coffee mugs, because we love coffee and we love coffee mugs. Mugs, notebooks. All kinds of stuff. Everything. Just everything. While hanging. (laughs) Tapestries. Go get a tapestry. Posters. Scare yourself silly with a poster. (laughs) Gang, all production and music is by the best bard in the business, Teresa Joy. Find and follow her at Viobright. That's at V-I-O-B-R-I-T-E. And hit her link in the episode description for some amazing music. And please share our podcast, gang. And keep sending us your stories. Most of all, we love to hear from you. Max ain't lying for once, gang. We love hearing from you, and we love your stories, and we want them stories. So y'all can contact us at our website, nightmarespodcast.net, on social media. Just get in touch with us. So, ladies and gentlemen, as always, be good to each other, and... Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.